If you could do this as you're being seated, take your uh, take those baskets to serve for our tithes and our offerings. You can pass those back down. Uh, if you feel like a connect card, just be the time to stick it back in there and uh, be greatly, greatly appreciated. Continue to pray for us, as we said, as we go to camp this week. should be a lot of fun, and uh, we're excited about it. Um, today is J- July 3rd. It is Independence Day Eve, and uh, we are, um, as as we sit here, uh, I think, I don't know, I'm assuming majority of us are probably from the USA, probably Americans, and um, as we come, we celebrate in 1776 that we, uh, we celebrated independence from the evil British. Is Graham here? How about Rosemary? No? All right. Well, I was going to say, if you saw them today, you can give them the evil eye. They're from Great Britain. Uh, no, seriously, we celebrate. And, and as we come, obviously, we celebrate uh, freedom on so many different levels. When we come and we celebrate freedom in the context of, of our early forefathers, just the things they fought for, the commitments that uh, they believed that they needed to make on behalf of future generations. And, and we celebrate just the energy and the time they poured into that. And we do. We celebrate just this freedom that was granted to us. Uh, we celebrate all uh, of the lives. You know, we celebrate it Memorial Day. But we celebrate it here again on the 4th of July. Just this reality of all of our men and women in the armed forces throughout generations who have, who have fought for our freedom and fought for our country. And so we, we come in this moment and we celebrate. And I, and I say it should be a great celebration. I'm, I love America. I'm proud to be an American. I will go and I will sing the song, right? I'm proud to be an American with, Keith, excuse me, with uh, what's his name? Lee Greenwood all day long, right? He can't sing anymore, so it's better because I sound better than he does because he's getting old and he can't sing. But no, but there's this whole thing I am. I'm proud to be an American I'm, and, I'm, and I'm thankful. Uh, I'm thankful for, for the country that we live in and the freedom that's bestowed upon us in that. And I think as we live our lives that uh, one of the... One of the um, one of the, I think one of the God's biggest pet peeves is the lack of gratefulness in the, in, in the, in the context of those that he's blessed, that he's poured himself out on, that he's, he basically, you know, like we are like spoiled brat children all the time who we get stuff from our parents, but we want more, right? Have you ever been like that? You ever had kids like that? I don't know about you. I don't have kids like that. But, um, but seriously, we're in that way. And I feel like as it relates to God's heart for for humanity and especially God's heart for us as Americans is that he looks down at us and says, I want you to be grateful because what we have, and hear me on this, okay, what we have is not because of what any human being has ever done. It's because of what God did. And he happened to do it through the context of human beings, and that's fantastic, right? And we're thankful for them, and we're grateful for that. But as we ultimately look, what we do is we come and we celebrate the great, that with gratefulness and thankfulness the work that God has done here in our country. And what I want to say in the context of that then is, is that we've been given freedom, and we celebrate that freedom, but that freedom comes at a cost because Freedom is not given to a person for them to hoard. Freedom is given so that they will then find to use that freedom on behalf of others who are in need. And so as we come in the context of July 4th, let's shoot our fireworks off and, we th- and be thankful and grateful for what God has done. But let us recognize at the moment with great sobriety that there are men and women throughout the world today who do not have that freedom. 
And that freedom has been given to us so that we will continue to fight. And I'm not talking just physically picking up guns, but that we will fight spiritually for those who are in need of spiritual and physical freedom today. This is the heartbeat of God. Because the reality is this, and hear me on this with, with great clarity. I've just showed, I just shared with you my great thankfulness of being American, but I recognize that God is not an American. God is not American, and God does not go and wave the American flag up in heaven. God is the God over all of creation and over all of humanity. And he is the God of all peoples and the God of all languages and the God of all flags. And as we come and as we celebrate, he celebrates with us as long as we recognize that he is not an American, but he is the God over all creation, which in us then says, God, then we want to come as the church and be the people of God for all of humanity and for all of your people. And God, we want to celebrate the freedom that's been given us here, but we recognize it's not for our country. It is for all of humanity, God, that we would come and that we would fight for them. God, thank you for letting us be here in America. Thank you for our country. Thank you for our government. Thank you for our democracy. But God, we recognize that you didn't bless us for us. You blessed us to be a blessing, not even just to our neighbors, but to all of humanity. And so, God, awaken us to that greater call today. Thank you, we celebrate, and we'll shoot off fireworks because it's just fun. But we recognize as the fireworks go off that there is still a great call on our lives to be Jesus for all of his people. Are you all okay with that? Okay. Have you not offended that I'm... I got someone earlier, it's like, I didn't really like what you said. I'm like, why? I don't really know what I said. So anyway, I love America. Hear me say that, but we have a great call and responsibility. All right. So with that, celebrate tomorrow with everything you have in you. Cool? All right, good. Christina, happy birthday. Right there. Raise your hand. Happy birthday. Yes. Emma's was with a birthday this week. I know Jordan had a birthday this week. Jordan Carr, where is she? Uh, did she leave us? No, oh, there she is. You need to raise your hand. I'm going to say your name. You raise your hand. Okay, there you go. Anybody else with a birthday this week? Anybody? anybody? All right. Well, hey, birthday, whatever. Okay. Um, so, hey, today we're here. I want you to go ahead and jump into Matthew 24. It's really cool today. Uh, I would say to you that, yes, I am um, one of those simple-minded idiots that actually believes in a loving God who sent Jesus, and he's going to return someday. Right? I'm unashamedly a simple-minded idiot, at least in the eyes of the world. I really do believe that, that Jesus is real. I believe he came and died, like the song said. I, I really do believe that he's coming back for us. So, so the idea, let me just kind of overarching today, say this. I believe there's a coming a day very soon when Jesus will return, right? And we're going to look at that here. If that's all new to you, I'm going to read it here in a second. But so Matthew 24 begins this dialogue. And so I want to jump in. Matthew 24, starting in verse 1, it says this. Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came up to him to call his attention to its buildings, right? They were basically bragging about the temple specifically, right? And then he looked at them and says, do you see all of these things? And he points to this beautiful temple. He says, I tell you the truth, not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, kind of this whispering thing, hey, hey, tell us the secret. Tell us, they said, when will this happen? 
And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And then Jesus said to them, watch out. Watch out that no one deceives you. Watch out that no one deceives you. So you have the disciples get the picture here. I mean, they're just like, they're like, they're like kids, and they're really, really proud of this temple, right? It's a really beautiful, ornate temple. They love the temple, right? And they're saying, Jesus, look at this. And Jesus comes and says, listen, I'll tell you a day's coming when every stone in this temple will be torn down. And in 70 A.D., that happened. Somebody, I forget who it was, some king came in or whatever, came in and run it over and destroyed completely the temple in 70 A.D., right? So that actually happened. So physically it happened, but he's making an even bigger statement about this idea of things crumbling and then him returning and establishing his kingdom. And what he's talking about is saying, listen, there will come a day and age and what they're asking. They're saying, Jesus, when are you going to come and be king? That's what they want to know, right? It's real simple. We believe that you're going to come and you're going to destroy all the other leaders and then you're going to be the leader. And so we just want to have a real quick question. We're, we're special friends. We're called disciples, right? We're, there's 12 of us. We're special friends of yours. Why don't you tell us when it's going to be? Just a little hint, hint, secret, secret, right? And Jesus says, well, let me tell you this. I'm not going to tell you that. I'm not going to tell you the time, but I want to tell you this. You're about to move into an age of deception, where the enemy is going to try to deceive you. Talked about it last week, right? He's going to try to deceive you and distract you from the primary commitment that you've made to God. He's going to try to keep you from fulfilling this commitment, and he's going to try to steal you away, woo you away, and deceive you from fleshing out this commitment that you're making to God. And so he lays out and says, so let me tell you, gets real. so let me just say this. This morning is so unbelievably practical because Jesus actually means everything he says, right? There's no underlying deep theological meaning that I get theologians to tell us about. No, no. He just says really practically, here are some things to be on the lookout for, right? He says, first and foremost, there'll be many a false Christ who come and pretend to be some sort of savior figure. Have you ever read about any of those people, right, who come and claim to know and have special truths about God? False Christs are going to come, and then there are going to be wars and rumors of war. Have you, do you know of any wars going on right now? Yes, we have people who are there fighting them. Nation and kingdoms will rise up against one another. Read the news, right? There'll be famines. They're everywhere today. There'll be earthquakes. I mean, golly, they're everywhere. Christians will be persecuted and they'll be killed, right? That's happening today. Someone's getting killed today because of their faith in Jesus. People will fall away from the faith. People who are slowly walking with Jesus all of a sudden boom, fall away. Do you know anybody like that, right? And then many false prophets will come in my name. They'll be, the, the, the prophets of old just say, and they used to say, they're going to come and tickle your ears, which is simply a way of saying they're going to say things basically that make you feel good and basically make you give them money. You know what I'm talking about, right? So you get people like that. That's all happening today in the name of Jesus and all this kind of stuff. And so Jesus says, listen, you're, I'm about to leave. One day I'm going to return. And until I return, all of this is going to happen. That is so practical, right? So how do we know that Jesus hasn't returned? 
well, this stuff's still happening. We're still in the age of deception. So that idiot, I mean, that guy a couple of weeks ago who talked about Jesus is coming on such and such a date, right? Are, we kid, are you kidding me, right? We're in the age of deception. So in Matthew 24, verse 25, Jesus says, listen, I'm telling you all of this ahead of time so that you won't be caught off guard. So what he does, the first thing we see, the first point is this. Jesus says, watch out. The enemy is moving to deceive you, and I want you, I'm warning you so that you'll be prepared. Enemy's going to woo you away and try to deceive you from living and fleshing out this commitment to God that you've said that you've made, and all of these things are going to happen in the context of this. This is how you know Jesus hasn't returned. So the enemy's going to try to deceive you and try to steal you away from this commitment. Second thing, he comes in, he says, listen, in verse 36, 42, and 44, he says this, No one knows the day or hour of of when Jesus will return. That's point number two, right? He's going to try to deceive you, and the reality is actually nobody knows when he's going to return. We may know the season that he's coming in a sense of like, yeah, I mean, maybe over here, but... But we don't really know the day or the hour when Jesus will return to take us home like we sang about here, right? We don't know when that's going to be. So Jesus then tells them, listen, so don't be deceived, right? Don't be deceived in the moment. And then point number three, which is where I want to land this morning, he says this. He says, now, since you don't know when I'm returning, since you don't know when I'm coming back, I want you to keep watch. Basically, he says, you don't want to return, so I want you to keep watch. I want you to look, in a sense. I want you to look and be aware and awake to my return. So, guys, I'm going to give you a gift right here. These are the men. You know how your wives always ask you, well, what did he talk about today? Were you paying attention? Here's what you say. And your wife asks you to say, well, he said talk about keeping watch. So everyone say, keep watch. Keep watch. All right, fantastic. So you can cheat now. So you know what he talked about today. This is the idea of keeping watch. And the idea is really, really simple. Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you to be deceived, right? The enemy's going to steal you and woo you away. For no one knows when I'm going to return. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to be presently and continually looking for the day when I will return. I want you to be, li- listen, I want you to be living your life as if my return is imminent. It's a big vocabulary word. It just means right now. Imminent. Right now, right? I want you to live as if my return is right now. So look up. It says in, in verse 42 of Matthew 24, it says, Therefore keep watch, because you don't know the day the Lord will come. So I want you to flip over now into Mark 13. You, you see where we are right here. We're just kind of talking through about Jesus returning. He wants us to keep a lookout. And in Mark 13, he says this, starting in verse 32. We're going to read to verse 37. He says, Jesus speaking, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So stop real quick. Say, but Jesus is God. How did he not know? Well, simply put, Jesus, when he came to earth as a human being, he basically chose to limit his knowledge on the things that he would know as a human being. In a sense, he wanted to make sure, he said, listen, I'm limiting my knowledge of things that I know here on earth. That's why he couldn't go float through walls. When you Remember, remember after he resurrected himself, or after, excuse me, after he was resurrected, and he kind of just came to the walls and he presented himself there, right? And this kind of the spirit state. He's a human being. He's 100% human. And that is, as, as a human being, he limited his knowledge. So he said, listen, as a human being, Jesus here, I don't know the day or the hour, 
right? Now in heaven, now sitting with the Father, he knows all these things. But he limited his knowledge because he wanted you to know, listen, I understand what it's like to be a human and not knowing things and not having special insight into stuff, right? I'm a human being just like you are. So he said, listen, no one knows the time of the hour, not even myself while I'm here. So verse 33, so be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each one with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. See, there's the phrase, man, keep watch. Verse 35, therefore, there it is again, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone. Watch. He puts an exclamation point there at the end as a, as, as a, as a matter-of-fact statement, as if he's just looking you in the eyes. You ever had that? So look at me in the eyes. Watch. Right? That's the idea. He's kind of making you think, I want you to keep watch. This idea of keeping watch, we kind of understand it, right? It means to, to keep awake, to, to be attentive and to be ready. It has the idea of a watchman on the wall. So, you know, you've seen these movies and uh, some kingdom and someone's trying to break in. And what do you see? The, the, the camera always pans straight up. And what do they find? They find the watchman standing on the walls. What's the watchman doing? They're usually holding some sort of spear. I don't really know why. Or something. They're holding a spear. Like, they can't throw that far. But I don't know whatever's going on, right? So they're holding their spear and they're walking like this. And what are they doing? They're keeping watch. They're being alert. They're staying awake. And they're being attentive. Why? Because... The enemy usually doesn't come from the inside. The enemy comes from the outside. And so they're sitting there being attentive and being alert with their spear in case they can throw it that far, right? Whatever's going on, right? And they're looking. They're looking. They're looking. They're keeping watch for an enemy that may be coming from a distance so they can alert everyone what's going on. Hey, enemy Bob's coming. Just wanted to let you know it's my job. Right? So they do, they're doing their thing. They're being this watchman on the wall, keeping watch so that when the enemy comes, they can just scream it out for everybody and throw a spear to look cool. Right? That's basically what's going on here. Right? So they had this whole thing going on to keep watch, to be attentive, and to be ready. Their, their job is to keep their eyes open, looking all the time for what may be coming. And so when Jesus is here and he's saying, listen, Keep watch. Jesus has an obvious goal that he's trying to get his followers to be awakened to and grab hold of. Basically, he's saying to them, listen, we must intentionally live our lives every moment of every day as if his return is imminent. As if it's a right now type thing. Listen, if you knew that Jesus was returning today or tomorrow, it would change how you're living your life right now. It would change what you do and how you speak and how you handle people. It's just like Santa Claus right there at Christmas time. What do you do? Like we for Santa Claus, I've been good, right? You start being good for like one week. The same type mentality. This is the, this is the concept. This is the perspective, the, the context here, the story that Jesus is getting at. Say, listen, you've got to be a, this whole picture of saying, listen, if I send, if, I, if this person leaves the house and he leaves an assigned task for the servant and says to the person at the door, hey, listen, your job is to keep awake. Not close your eyes, not to go play some game, but to be attentive so that you know who's, when I'm coming back and when an enemy may come. 
Listen, we all understand this. You remember this tension when you were in elementary school, in junior high, and in senior high. Remember those moments you're sitting and your teacher goes, Hey, class, I forgot something. I've got to run down to the principal's office real quick. And they walk out the door, and what do you have? Tension. Are you going to do what you're supposed to do and read your page? Or are you going to make some farting noise make the entire class laugh, right? You know what I'm talking about? Listen, don't pretend like you're holy. This is true story, right? You're sitting in class, and you had this whole thing going on, and there's this tension going on. The teacher leaves, and you're going like this, right? And you had the person over here, and it was usually some really nerdy guy making noises, and everybody's going, Ooh, laughing and everything. And then you got these two girls over here, and they're like, They've been waiting to talk all day about Jenny. Oh, my gosh, did you hear about Jenny? Like, oh, my gosh, I'm so glad teachers are going to talk about it. Yes. And they're just like, right? And you got this person over here doing this, right? This is the studious person. She's coming back, you know. And this whole thing, I'm going to tell on you, right? This whole thing going on. Because you just have this whole dynamic going down. These people living in tension in the moment. Because they know. And everybody's experiencing it, right? Are we going to do what we've been told to do? We have an obligation. We have a responsibility to be doing our work. But we have this tension because we really want to just go hang out and play and have a good time and talk amongst one another, right? And so the whole time we're doing this tension. And what are our ears doing? Listening for the cloppity, cloppity, cloppity. The, the teacher walking down the hall like, like, I remember a series of teacher would leave and I would always be aware in two seconds of what kind of shoes they had on. Did you do that? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Maybe I'm better than you, than you at this whole game. I don't know. But anyway, I got this whole thing. I listen to their, their, their shoes and so I'm talking, talking, talking. And I hear because what I want to do is when I see her at a, at a distance coming, I'm going to pay attention again. I'm go, oh my gosh, I can't believe you. She's going to walk in. I'm going to do this. <sighs> that whole thing, right? Because I want her to think that I've been paying attention the entire time and doing what I'm supposed to be doing. This whole thing going There's this tension going on. And so Jesus is here in the moment. He's going to have this, this kind of context, conversation. It's like, listen, I'm going to leave, and there's going to be tension. In fact, the enemy, you're going to, I'm giving you responsibility of things you're supposed to be doing. What's the enemy, going to be, the enemy going to be doing? Trying to distract you with farting noises and trying to deceive you. So I want you to keep watch, to stay awake, be attentive, and be alert. You have a responsibility here. But the problem, even in this language of responsibility, is, is for us, and many times when we think about this, this context of, of responsible and keeping watch, we think of it as an obligation and a duty. Listen, your job is an obligation and a duty, isn't it? And how many of you wake up every morning and go, I can't wait to get to work today. It's going to be the most awesome thing ever. No, no. It's an obligation. You wake up and go, oh, I need coffee, right? Oh, I can't look at drive this drive one more time. This whole thing. Obligation and duty lends itself to not liking something. And so we find ourselves in our obligation and our duty here of even... Keeping watch, and we're like, oh my gosh, this spear, I hate it. It was so cool for the first, like, two years, but man, I hate this spear now. What can I really do with it? This spear is so dumb, I can't even throw it. In fact, I, I can only throw it about five feet. I can't hurt anybody with this spear. This is ridiculous. I'm just, oh, I'm so tired of my obligation. All I want to do is just sit down and take a nap and rest. And so many of us in our thinking about religion or thinking about Christianity, you're thinking about our relationship with Jesus, this is exactly how we look at it. 
some obligation and duty is like, ugh, it's so boring being a Christian. I don't even want to be a Christian. I wish I could just go there and hang out and do that over there, whatever that may be, right? I'm just tired of my job. I'm tired of my responsibility. I wish I could just play and goof off and have a good time whenever I want to. This is an obligation and a duty. And so in the context of what I believe is we find that this is not the heart of Jesus. Because this story here of keeping watch is immediately followed in Matthew chapter 25 by the story of the ten virgins. If you never read the story, all it basically is is this. In Jewish culture, virgins will come and they will connect themselves with the bride and wait in expectation for the groom to come. Basically, it's like the bridesmaids are going to come and just sit with her and be with her and talk about how awesome it's going to be when the groom finally gets there, right? Because you know what that looks like. You know when a bride and a groom get together. Sporks happen. That's why we have honeymoons, right? It's the whole thing. Listen, that's the language of the moment. It's like the bride is waiting for her groom in expectation and the virgins are going to come and sit with her and talk about how excited and how, how much they love one another and this unbelievable, this imminent expectation of him coming and they're so excited. It's going to be so incredible when he finally gets here. And the story of these virgins is five are wise and they have everything that they need to actually enter into the banquets and five of them don't five of them are prepared to enter in with them and five are not five have been deceived five are are living distracted in this commitment and the picture here immediately following what we think of obligation and duty is saying no 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 the message is if it's a bride waiting in expectation a bride who's sitting there looking alert and attentive saying get over here i cannot wait for you to get here would you just hurry up all i can do all day long is just keep watch because i cannot wait for you that's the picture here of this responsibility and calling that we have Do we have that type of understanding of relationship with Jesus? Or is it this boring obligation and duty? Do you know why you think it that way? Think of it that way in your relationship with Jesus? Very simple. The subtlety and anonymity of the enemy moving in your life. That's what we talked about last week, wasn't it? The subtlety of the enemy just, oh, wouldn't this be so much better over here? Isn't that just so whatever or whatever you don't like, right? Oh, it's so bad. And you find yourself and you just also begin to think about Christianity and Jesus and God. It's this boring, disconnected thing and you've lost this reality of expectation of a bride waiting for a groom. Then in Mark chapter 14, so that Mark goes even deeper, to be completely honest with you. Mark just comes into this moment in uh, chapter 14. He says, now listen, men, keep Watch, right? So watch, keep watch. And then he goes into this story that is literally the story in all of Scripture of extravagant love for Jesus. And the story is simply this. I'm just going to paraphrase it for you. You can go read it for yourself in Mark 14. Jesus comes into the house of Simon the leper, right? Simon the leper, the Pharisees won't come in because, well, dude has leprosy and he's unclean, right? So the disciples come in. They're probably staying a long way away from him because nobody wants leprosy in the day, right? And so Jesus comes and hangs out with Simon the leper. 
And they're having a great time. They're hanging out. They're eating food. They're reclining at the table. And it says this woman, who's probably Mary of Bethany, comes in. She comes in and she walks over to Jesus. And she kneels down and she takes her hair down. It's a massive cultural taboo. Only prostitutes took their hair down. So she comes in, takes her hair down. She takes out this perfume from her pocket. And, she, and all the disciples are going, oh my gosh, that's worth $45,000. Scripture says it was worth one year's wages, right? What's she going to do with that? And they watch as she takes off the top and she pours it onto the feet of Jesus. And they're angry, going, oh, my gosh, did you see what she just did? Oh, my gosh, I mean, Jesus is going to be so mad at her, right? This whole thing, and, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair and the perfume. And the disciples are going, this is so wrong. That could have been spent on the poor. That could have been spent on something who was needy. That could have been sold and the money given to the poor. And Jesus shuts them up and says, Listen, what she just did was a beautiful thing. And in fact, whenever the good news of Jesus will be shared for the rest of eternity, they will tell her story about what she did for me. And in turn, he didn't really say this, but he meant it. And they'll talk about how big of idiots you were. She's sitting here in her moment. And she comes in and does this thing. And the three things that I believe we find as it relates to just her expressing this extravagant love for Jesus, number one, is this. She's saying, Jesus, I'm committed to you. Listen, she, how many of you would like to take your entire year's wages this year and spend it on something else and not go for anything that you need? And she comes out and says, here is just this thing. It's going to be, there's this stuff that's worth so much. But you know what? When she opens it, she's saying, this is, this is my sign to you that I'm committed. Nothing else before. The second thing is this. She says, I value, I value you, Jesus, above all else. I value you above all else. Listen, this jar of perfume obviously was her prized possession. It was, it was an insurance thing for her. Something was bad. Something goes bad in her life. She's going to at least sell this perfume. She was probably saving it for her own burial so that this is what they did. They poured perfume on stuff, right? So probably for her own burial. But she breaks it open. She pours it out on Jesus. In so many words, she is saying, Jesus, you mean everything to me. Not a little. Not even a lot. You actually, in Europe, you being in my life, you are everything to me. Number one, two, three, four, five, six, all down the line, you are everything to me. And the third thing we see is that her value in her own mind was defined by him and what he thought and not these idiots over here. All that she cared about was that he thought she was awesome. She's sitting there, and, and they're just speaking about her, speaking down about her. Listen, they hear her. Disciples probably are probably trying to pull her away, saying, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. And Jesus says, whoa, let her do it. This is her expression of extravagant love for me. Do not hold her back. 
And she's in her mind saying, because, you know, Jesus, honestly, I don't really care what any of them think anyway. As long as you love me, that is all that matters. You see, when we come into this moment here in chapter 14 of Mark, after Mark has just told us to keep watch, he's saying, listen, if you live your life and think of this as an obligation and as a duty to keep watch for the one that you're passionate about, then let me express in story form for you what this expectation and extravagant love should look like in your waiting for Jesus. Why should you keep watch? Because of the story of Mary. Man, you, you, need to, you need to be living your life committed to him. You need to be living your life where Jesus has value above all else in your life. And you need to be living your life not worrying what any other person in the room thinks about and only worry about what he thinks about. Because when you do, when you express extravagant love, to him, what you'll find is him returning that extravagant love back to you. Because what it is, it's not just you waiting in anticipation for him. How many of you men, when you stood there, you waited in expectation for your wife also? And Jesus is saying in the moment, hey, you're waiting expectantly for me. Guess what? I am anticipating being with you also. And it's, I know it's taking a long time, but I cannot wait to be with you. Just keep watch a little bit longer for the day is coming when we will be united again and everything in the world will change because you will all of a sudden be awakened to the fullness of my beauty and it's going to be amazing us together would you keep watch it's not a duty and obligation it's a responsibility yes birthed out of extravagant love and imminent expectation that is the heart of God for us And as we come into this season, the season of life that we're in, and your season, I recognize some of you have this great tension inside of you of like, what in the world is he talking about? What is that with this whole love thing with Jesus? This seems a little bit weird. I don't know what's going on in that whole thing, right? I don't really know what he's talking about. I'm a Christian, but I don't, I'm not experienced in this. I haven't been a, there's not this awakening in my heart. What What does that look like? What do you mean this whole thing? Now, I would simply say this. There is a place of expectation, of an anticipation of us being obedient to God where the enemy is going to try to distract you. He's going to try to deceive you. He's going to keep you away from the fullness of relationship that you can have with God. And as such, he's saying, listen, be awakened and keep watch because I'm going to come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. We praise you, Father, that even in our own ignorance, God, of of not knowing you. God, we've never been awakened to you. We've never even seen you. We've never heard your voice, God. The reality is you're still speaking and you're still moving in our life and you're still blessing us, Father. You're still pouring yourself out. You're guarding us. You're protecting us, Lord. You're doing powerful things in us. And God, you do all of these things in an attempt to woo us to you because you are the source of all good things. And so, Father, this this Independence Day, God, I pray that you would awaken us to an even deeper understanding of the freedom that you've given us to love you and to know you. And Father, we're simply asking that you would pour yourself out upon us. Father, we love you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.